0: Next Chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone. On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks, including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and old-time lagers.
1: Swing by before, during, or after Saturday night's D.C. United match, followed by UFC 274.
3: the wind up the pitch swung on hit in the air to deep right way back going going and gone goodbye bang zoom goes Juan Soto with his sixth home run and seventh RBI of the season and the Nationals on the board first in the top of the first it's Washington one and Colorado nothing first pitch swung on belted high and deep to left center field Gordon back at the warning track climbing the wall and it is gone goodbye on the very next pitch after the error, Garrett Hampson blasts a three run home run. And in just a second, a flash. Four runs on the board for the Rockies. They lead it four to two. Now the set. Runners hold this time. Swing and a high drive. Deep left center field. Robles going back on the warning track at the wall, and it is gone. Four runs home here in the bottom of the fifth inning, breaking the game open. It's now Colorado eight and
0: Washington three. And welcome to Natchat for Friday, May 6, 2022, along with Massinsports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, Coors Field to me is like Disney World. You don't truly experience it until you suffer. Okay, you haven't truly experienced Disney World until you have suffered, until you have waited in a massive line at Disney World. That's Disney World. You haven't truly experienced Coors Field until you have been involved in a three and a half hour plus slugfest at Coors Field. Now, games one and two of the Nats three-game series at the Colorado Rockies featured some runs, yes, but the games were quick, and the games were largely abnormal games at Coors Field. Well, the Coors Field god said, oh, no, 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 you're not leaving here without a vintage Coors Field experience, and that's exactly what we got on Thursday. That was vintage Coors Field. The Nats scored seven runs, totaled 15 hits, worked three walks, but the Nats lost 9-7, 9-7, the final. Your classic Coors Field softball game on Thursday. Uh, Nats end up losing two or three games in the series. Nats now 3-3 three and three on their nine-game road trip out west, 9-18 and 18 overall. Mark, you have covered many games at Coors Field over the years. Uh, I take it that that was a prototypical Coors Field game on Thursday.
1: We knew this was going to happen, right? We saw this one coming. This was the deal with the devil. We got a couple of quick games for the night games, and now we had this one uh, for the finale. You know, I guess it was just a matter of time before it happened. This is far more like the majority of games I've covered here than the first two were. Those first two games were highly unusual for this ballpark. And so you kind of knew deep down the odds of that happening again were pretty slim. And yeah, this one had it all. You had a lot of offense. You had some base running mistakes, some... Some good pitching, some bad pitching. You had like critical mistakes that turned into three run homers and a game that you never really felt like it was over. In the fifth inning, I said to myself, don't even bother starting to write my story on this yet because everything that has happened the first five innings could be completely irrelevant by the time this game ends because so much more could happen over the rest of the afternoon. It's just one of those games. This is the way this ballpark is. I I guess you say you're glad you only experienced one of them out of three this year. Now we don't have to think about it again until next year.
0: Yeah, you know, you watch a baseball game and you feel like you can get a feel for what kind of a game it's going to be. The Nats scored two runs in the top of the first. The Rockies scored four runs in the bottom of the second, and we were off to the races. I mean, it was that kind of a game. I know that people can enjoy baseball in all kinds of ways, right? And I think we all enjoy offense, but it's kind of like to me ice cream. You know, you like ice cream, but do you like it by the gallon? And course Field, to me, I just can't imagine playing eighty-one games there every year. I would think this would become so tedious if you're running a team, if you're trying to assemble a team. I mean, to me, there's a reason the Rockies really haven't been very good in their history. They're pitching for the most part. And the Rockies have been in existence now for about 30 years. 1993 was their first season. Their pitching for the most part has been atrocious for 30 years. It's really hard to win that way. You know, the two times that the Rockies have made deep postseason runs, they caught fire and made those runs. They weren't like a really good team for a sustained period of time. And I don't know that there's a fix. I know the Rockies have tried like everything over the years to try to make Coors Field more pitcher-friendly. I don't know that there's anything you can do with that mile-high altitude. And so this is how it seemingly always is when you play baseball at Coors Field.
1: Yeah, they have tried everything, both, you know, the humidor they've tried as far as the ball's concerned, but even in terms of roster construction, there have been years that they've said, okay, we're just going to try to outslug everybody. We're going to go all in on our lineup. That didn't work. Okay, well, we're going to finally go all in on pitching. We're going to spend money on pitching. And then they sign, you know, Mike Hampton to a $100 million contract, and that's a disaster. Then they say, okay, we're going to develop young pitching because we're not going to convince any free agents to come here. And they get Ubaldo Jimenez, who started off well, and I think that was the year they finally made the World Series, but didn't last. They tried at one point to say, we're going to spend on the bullpen. And we're going to go about it that way and try to win games late. That didn't work. So I agree. I don't know that there's ever really a formula that's going to work for them here. It's a nice ballpark. It's a great city. I would not want to watch 81 baseball games a year here because it just it feels different. It's just not the same as what you're used to seeing. Like I said, this is a game that in any other ballpark, you might think it's over in the fifth inning and not at all today. I mean, you just kept thinking at some point they're going to keep scoring runs and then the other team scores runs. And it's just it, a game is never over here. You never feel comfortable.
0: Well, the Nats run a very good starting pitching in this series came to an end on Thursday. We saw Eric Fetty be really good on Tuesday night. Patrick Corbin, be really good on Wednesday night. Aaron Sanchez had a rough go of it on Thursday. Seven runs, six earned in four and third innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch. Did record five strikeouts. Did throw strikes. That's something that Sanchez is doing. 84 pitches, 56 strikes versus 28 balls. But uh, he had a hard time of it, especially in what ended up being a four-run run. Rocky second. Uh, Sanchez in the bottom of the second allowed four runs, three earned. All four runs scored with no outs. Uh, Sanchez gave up a leadoff double to Ryan McMahon toward the right field corner on a one-two pitch. Gave up a first pitch opposite field RBI double to Brendan Rodgers to the right center field gap to cut the Nats' lead to 2-1. Then came your daily Alcides Escobar error, because we can't have a game without one of those these days. Uh, Alcides committed his third error in two games on Thursday, committed a fielding error uh, on a grounder off the bat of Sam Hilliard.
3: Swinging a ground ball toward the middle. Shaded the way. Escobar
0: boots it. Now the throw to first low and not in time. Another error for Alcides Escobar. Escobar was in a shift. He was playing on the first base side of second base, bobbled the grounder, and then Aaron Sanchez did not respond well. He gave up a first pitch three-run homer to Garrett Hamson to left field for a 4-2 Rockies lead, and then later in the inning issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of Yonatan Daza. But, you know, errors can loom large and can loom not so large. That Escobar error for a second straight game, right, looms large because of what ends up happening. The very next pitch sanchez gives up the three-run homer to garrett hampson
1: yeah so it does loom large but i'm also going to say here that at some point it's on the pitcher to pick your guys up and it's not like that would have ended the inning if Escomar makes the play the night before yes a double play would have ended that whole inning everything else that happened you know maybe never happens in this case it would have been one out you already had one run across the plate and literally the next pitch three-run homer that he surrenders and even after that there's a drive to the warning track He hit a batter later in the inning. So if you're Aaron Sanchez, and and he said it too, it's like when I'm a pitcher and that happens behind me, my first thought is I'm going to bail him out. I'm going to get a ground ball in the very next pitch and hope he hits it right back to him and that he gets out of the jam. So... You do have to pick up your teammates at times because they're going to help you along the way as well. It's unfortunate that it happened again. We've said, I think, everything there is to say about Alcides Escobar and his defense at this point. But if you're Aaron Sanchez, you're going to have to be a little bit better than that. And he wasn't on this date. Now, he rebounded and pitched well in the third and the fourth. He kept them in the game. Again, at Coors Field, you're keeping them in the game even if you're down three runs. But he didn't finish strong. He ends giving up three hits in the fifth before he gets pulled. And then things got out of hand after that.
0: Yeah. And Sanchez, his final line was bad and was bad enough, but it was made to look even worse by what happened in the bottom of the fifth. So Josh Rogers was the first reliever out of the Nats' pen. He comes into the game bottom of the fifth, one out, runners on first and second. Nats down 5-3. That's the thing. The Nats were very much in this game for a good chunk of the game. And Rogers, he struck out two guys. But the problem was what happened in between the two strikeouts. He sandwiched two strikeouts around giving up a two-out, three-run homer to Brendan Rodgers to center field on a 1-2 pitch for an 8-3 Rockies lead. So in this game, Nats pitching gave up two three-run homers. Hard to win when you do that. And you know Josh Rodgers, he's been demoted, if you want to call it that. I mean, I don't know how strong of a grip he ever had on a rotation spot, but right, he's now in the bullpen. He's a lefty. He's a guy who you know, could be leaned on at least a decent amount here, and uh, he got roughed up. Now, he did stay in the game. He only officially gave up one run in one and two-thirds innings. We know that it was worse than that, but that was a tough moment for him to give up that home run.
1: So here's the problem. He's called upon in that situation because two of the first three hitters coming up to face him are left-handed. So he's the only lefty in the bullpen. That's going to be his assignment. He got them both out. He struck them both out. Rogers' numbers against lefties are pretty good. And I think that's among the reasons why they think this could work for him to be effective as a reliever. The problem is the days of the loogie, the one left-handed one-out guy, are long gone. You have to face three batters. And in this case, he had to face the right-handed Rogers, no relation, spelled differently, in that same inning. And here's the killer there. The count is one and two. Cabert Ruiz calls for a fastball. Josh Rogers thinks to himself, you know what, we've already tried a couple of fastballs against him. I want to try something else. I'm going to throw my slider. And he ends up leaving it over the plate and that turns into the three-run homer. So he shook off his catcher and did so to throw a pitch that while it is his most effective pitch against lefties, it's not his most effective pitch against righties. That pitch is breaking in on a right-handed hitter. And what Davey Martinez afterwards is saying that he would prefer to see either go back to the fastball or even throw a change up, which is going to break down and away from a right-handed hitter. So bad decision-making there by Rogers. You have to understand, okay, in that spot, obviously a danger spot. You're facing a tougher hitter on the right side. You know there's, with two outs, a lefty on deck. Don't give in to the righty. Don't throw him your worst, your least effective pitch against somebody from that side of the plate. And unfortunately, he paid the price for it.
0: He did. And, you know, we do have to remember, he is Josh Rogers. And I, I'm not saying that to be funny. Like, he was optioned at AAA to begin this season. He's not a guy who has pitched a lot at the major league level. The Nats kind of stumbled into him last year. He stumbled into pitching for the Nats last year. And, you know, now he's being called upon in high leverage spots this season. Like, that's not what he's supposed to be. And yet, that's what he is right now, in part because of the Sean Doolittle injury, but also in part because the Nats don't have many other options. Well, he wasn't the only Nats reliever who had problems in this game. Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the seventh gave up a one-out opposite field. Solo Homer to Randall Gritchick to right field for a 9-6 Rockies lead. Uh, We had... What I like to call frustration, Davey Martinez, in the bottom of the eighth inning, Austin Voth is in the game, faces four batters, only gets two outs. That's always like a killer. You know that Davey can't stand that. A reliever's in the game. Get at least three outs for me, please, all right? Now, Voth got two outs, but then he issues a single and a walk. Davey gets him out of there. Steve Ciszek comes into the game and actually, in a fairly high-leverage spot, strikes out Jonathan Daza on three pitches. But, uh, you know, it was tough. I mean, it's difficult to pitch in this ballpark. I get that. You were going to have one of these games, and the Nats had it on Thursday.
1: Yeah, it is unfortunate. But like you said there, you want to get through that inning and not have to go to the other reliever. Now, the only saving grace here is, Because they had used their bullpen so little the first two days of the series, pretty much everybody was available. And in some ways, some of these guys, like, needed the work, actually. Kyle Finnegan pitched in this game because he desperately needed to pitch. It had been a while, and he winds up giving up the home run that didn't help matters. Um, We never saw Tanner Rainey in this series. He's still at, what, six appearances on the season? I think maybe seven. Not what you want from the guy who's been your most effective reliever, but they just aren't in enough of the right situations to use him. So it wasn't the end of the world in this one that he had to pull both and bring in Ciszek, but down the road. Yeah. You don't want to keep doing that. Of course, you don't want to burn up a guy for one out in a game that you're already losing.
0: Yeah. I want to say this about Tanner Rainey. If it actually mattered whether the Nats won and lost these games, I think a conversation to be had was why aren't we seeing more of Tanner Rainey? If he is your quote unquote, ace reliever, Why does it always have to be that you're leading when you bring them into the game? That's such an old school way of doing it. We know that Davey isn't old school with his bullpen usage. Like Davey can do a lot of new agey progressive things. Um, You know, now I know he's been doing the thing of trying to give guys work and try out guys, quote unquote, but we're past that now. You've made the bullpen cuts. I I don't know. Like, is this just how it's going to be? Like, we're just not going to see more Tanner Radian until they're leading more in games?
1: Well, he has used them a couple of times when they're trailing, kind of for this reason, because he needs the work, not necessarily because Davey's saying, oh, it's a, a high leverage spot, even though we're trailing or something like that. They just, for whatever reason, have not been in a whole lot of close games late, either ahead or behind. Most of their games, I need to go back and look at this, but it feels like most of their games, they're either winning by a pretty comfortable margin or losing by a comfortable margin. And not a lot of games have been flipping late either. They're kind of been decided earlier. So I think that that is it more than anything. I think Davey actually is perfectly willing to use Rainey in non-save situations. There just haven't been enough that we're still like close enough games to say, yeah, it's worth it. And you get to a point that you say, okay, am I going to throw him just for the sake of throwing him? Or do I want to make sure I have him in case we do need him in a bigger spot the next couple of days? But ideally, in the long run, no, you don't want, you know, Victor Arano and Andres Machado and Austin Voth with considerably more appearances than Tanner Rainey, who has been your best reliever.
0: Yeah, I mean, this game on Thursday was close, you know, like you could have used Rainey in this game. Davey did.
1: I thought we might see him in the eighth. Once Finnegan pitched the seventh, I thought we might see him in the eighth.
0: Yeah, we didn't. We saw Austin Voth. I mean, did we really need to see Austin Voth again? I don't know. But again, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, okay? And you know what's interesting about that? Davey Martinez on Wednesday night began his session with you guys saying something that I thought was interesting.
1: Forget about the outcome of the game. Patrick was awesome today.
0: And I was like, Hmm. I'm not used to hearing Davey talk like that, but that seems to be a concession of, yeah, you know what, whatever, we lost. But Patrick picked great, and Davey was like giddy over how Corbin pitched. And, you know, you think about like that, you think about this Alcides-Escobar situation, right? If the Nats were a contender, Escobar wouldn't be the everyday shortstop, okay? Luis Garcia would be up. I think everybody knows that. So, you know, are the Nats tanking? It depends on how you define tanking. But clearly, the Nats are internally thinking as we talk on this podcast, as many of you listening – think and talk about the Nats. This season is not about wins and losses. And that's fine. I'm not killing the Nats for that. But I think it's interesting that we are seeing signs that the Nats themselves are thinking about this season that way.
1: Yeah, I think the best way I can explain this is being in the clubhouse after a loss in 2022 versus being in the clubhouse after a loss, especially early in 2019. It's a different vibe. It is. And it's not to say that they're, you know, laughing and joking and like literally don't care that they lost a game. Of course, these are competitors. They want to win a game. But there is not that same level of tension or being really upset about losing games at times the way that we saw it when the team was under a lot of pressure to win. And certainly the first half of 2019, there was a lot of that. Now, you could say in the long run, I think it was proven that it's better when they aren't playing (laughs) tense. That when they just kind of do the let's go 1-0 and today and brush off whatever happened yesterday and don't make too big a deal out of it one way or the other, that that's actually better for them and that's worked for Davey. But it is a difference. I've noticed a difference in the clubhouse after games they lose this year compared to how they used to be when they would lose a game when you had a veteran-laden team that was under a lot of pressure to try to win.
0: Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is Window Nation's graduation sale. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment so that you get an A. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl and fiberglass. You can increase the value of your home with curb appeal and save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient Window Nation windows. Window Nation has installed over a million windows has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you, but give Window Nation a call, 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. One more time, 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you.
3: Well, the Nationals in business here in the fifth inning. With Yadiel Hernandez, their hottest hitter up, one for two in this game. He's 11 for his last 18. Third baseman, even the bag, off the line of the right of the cut, out of the pitch, high and away. Soto caught off third, throw to third. He's out.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, the Nats pitching struggled on Thursday, but the Nats hitting on Thursday was quite good for a fourth time in six games. It's going to be interesting, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now, do we look back upon this nine-game trip out west as the road trip on which the Nats offense got going in this 2022 season? Big game, but also an interesting game for Juan Soto on Thursday. He had two extra base hits. He got on base four times. He went two for three with a solo homer, a double and two walks. He in a Nats two-run first, had a one-out solo homer to right field despite having been down to the count at 1.12, the home run going a projected 411 feet per stat cast. He then, in an at one-run fifth, drew a six-pitch walk, despite having been down at 1.12, but we also had Soto getting picked off at third base for the first out in that inning. That was bad. He did draw another walk, two-run seventh, a lead-off six-pitch walk, and he had a double top of the eighth a two-out opposite field double off the left field wall. So great to see him get on base four times. Great to see him have two extra base hits. He hits another home run, but getting picked off at third base obviously was not good.
1: It was not good, and he knew it afterwards and admitted that that might have cost them the game right then and there. And the interesting thing there is that they've kind of warned him about doing that, about getting too far off a base. They, I think, had reason to believe the Rockies might be waiting for something like that. And if you watch the replay, you can see the third baseman, McMahon, who's playing way off the line. It's like as the pitch is being delivered, he's already moving towards third base as if he's preparing for a throw to come into him. Now, I don't know that it was specifically called by the Rockies. The pitch wound up being like almost a pitch out. It was it was not intended as a pitch out, but because it was outside, it set up the catcher perfectly and they caught him. And it was a big spot in the game and he knew it and they talked about it with him afterwards. But. These are those little things that we talk about all the time that you have to be aware of. And in a ballpark like this, there are so many opportunities to score runs. When you botch one like that, I think it's magnified even more.
0: Yeah, it is. And it feels like the Nats have gotten picked off a few times this season. You know, I don't know how they are in that regard relative to the rest of baseball, because I know when you watch a team, it's like you feel like the bad stuff happens more to your team than it happens to the other teams. But I mean, the Nats have gotten picked off some this season. We have seen that. We have talked about that. But overall, good game for Juan Soto. Uh, Good game for Josh Bell. You know, he went 0-4 for on Wednesday night. He was right back to hitting on Thursday. 2-4 for with an RBI double, a single, and a walk. How about the RBI double? Uh, This came in the one-run fifth. A first-pitch RBI double to deep center field to cut the Nats deficit to 4-3. Like, that was a big boy double. And Josh Bell, we know, is a big man. Uh, But that was some shot. Could have been a home run. Uh, But Bell right back at it, getting the job done on Thursday,
1: 419 feet deep right center. And this is maybe the only ballpark in the majors where that's not a home run. But, you know, honestly, that was one that off the bat, I see it going out there and you know that he hit it well. But I see the center fielder. and My initial thought is, well, he might track that down to the wall. And then it just sort of gets another gear to it and keeps going. And I do wonder if that was a Coors Field special, not taking anything away from how well he hit the ball. Of course he did. But it, it sort of felt like one that just carried a little bit extra and to his benefit and the Nats benefit. It hit up against the wall, but 419 feet to just get two bases is a lot of uh, mileage uh, to only end up with a double.
0: Really good game for K. Bert Ruiz on Thursday. Uh, You know, he started two games in this series. He was really good in both games. He started the game on Tuesday night, three for four with a double, a two-run single, an RBI single and a walk. And Ruiz on Thursday, two for five with a leadoff homer and an RBI double. Uh, He and the Nats one run six, a leadoff homer to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 8-4. That homer going 424 feet per stat cast. I mean, this is what happens at course field. 400-plus-foot homers are the norm. Uh, and then Ruiz in the Nats' two-run seventh, a two-out RBI double down the right field line to cut the Nats' deficit to 8-6. He also had a great throw to gun down Jonathan Daza on an attempted steal of second base for the third out in that Rockies' four-run second. And the pitch is high. The throw
3: on down with the runner going is in time for the out. Hernandez, the tag on Daza, trying to steal, He is cut down by Kebert
0: Ruiz. Two to four. If you're scoring, fourth runner thrown out by Ruiz. Ruiz fired a bullet to Sasso Hernandez at second base. So we saw some really good stuff from Kebert Ruiz in this series.
1: Yeah, good weekend from him. And I think he needed, you know, especially to see the power—a home run and a double. We've kind of been waiting for that from him. We know he has that ability. I think that was good for him to see that he has that in him still and can do that, like you said, a good throw. And as we mentioned the other night, it was a good game for Riley Adams working with Patrick Corbin as well. So that's a nice uh, series for the Nats catchers. And, you know, Ruiz is going to catch two out of three. That's going to be their plan here. Adams is going to get his starts on getaway days and now maybe when Corbin pitches. I do think... And I don't want to put too much on a young guy, but I do think we need to start seeing more of this from Ruiz. In this lineup, they kind of need him to be a producer. If he's hitting behind some of those big names, he's coming up in big spots. And uh, they need it from him, especially if Nelson Cruz continues to struggle. Caber Ruiz is coming up in some big spots. and. He can do it. I think we know that he has the ability to do this, but we kind of need to start seeing it on a more regular basis. So maybe this uh, this series was a good uh, step in the right direction for him.
0: Another good game for Yadiel Hernandez on Thursday. He was again the Nats cleanup batter with Nelson Cruz uh, not starting for a second straight game due to the back stiffness. Uh, Yadiel had two singles on Thursday. And I do want to highlight Michael Franco. I don't want to overstate things, but... He actually has been all right offensively here lately, and he has made some good defensive plays as well. But Franco, on Thursday, three for five. He had an RBI double and two singles. Uh, the RBI double coming in that Nats. Two run seventh, a two-out opposite field RBI double down the right field line on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 8-5. If you just look at those Nats batters who qualify for MLB leaderboards, the Nats' top three OPS guys this season, Josh Bell one, Juan Soto two, Michael Franco 3. Now, that's misleading because Yadiel Hernandez should be in that mix more so than Franco should be. Yadiel just hasn't accumulated enough plate appearances. But, you know, Franco has a 720 OPS. Again, I don't want to say that he's been great or anything like that. But, you know, I think there's a tendency to sort of lump him in with Osiris Escobar and Cesar Hernandez. And actually, Franco's been a cut above those guys offensively. He actually hasn't been that bad for the Nats. I mean, You know, is that a foundational piece or anything like that? But the Nats have gotten some production from him so far this year.
1: Yeah, and under the circumstances, essentially as, you know, an emergency third baseman because this was not necessarily the plan going into spring training that he'd be there every day. Third baseman when Carter Keboom suffered his elbow injury, it kind of made him the default choice there. He's done perfectly fine for himself. He's hitting the ball hard. You know, it's funny, defensively, he's had some pretty ugly plays. He's also had maybe more, like, standout, you know, draw a star in your box kind of plays than anybody on the infield. So again, under the circumstances, he's done what you would want and what you could ask of him realistically to do. And I also want to give a little love here to Cesar Hernandez. He's on an 11-game hitting streak now, uh, hitting 278. He's not hitting for power, but not that we ever expected him to do that. You know, I don't know that he is the perfect choice to be the leadoff hitter on this team. But he is, you know, kind of doing what they thought he would do for them and certainly a better job of it lately. Uh, so I want to make sure I mention that because, you know, 11-game hitting streak, that is something. That's not nothing.
0: Yeah. Uh, and for a while, he wasn't doing much. At least, you know, he's giving you singles. He is getting on base, it feels like, at least once a game here with what he's doing. All right, Nelson Cruz. So he misses a second straight game with the back stiffness. Uh, what do we know about his situation?
1: So it was a case where he he was feeling better is what he told Davey before the game today. But I think there was a sense of, okay, it's a quick turnaround day game after the night game. Then they're traveling to Anaheim for the weekend. And remember, they're playing with a three-man bench. So let's say you put Cruz in the lineup, but it stiffens up during the game like it did the other night and you have to replace him. Well, now you've already burned up one of your bench players. So the thought from Davey was, let's give him another day off But get yourself ready in case we need you to pinch hit later and maybe take advantage of that as being one of your three bench players, as opposed to risking having to pull him from the game early and burn up somebody else. Now, I was waiting to see in the ninth, they never got there, but I was waiting to see if they might send him up there, especially if it got to Robles or Escobar in the ninth and they had a chance where maybe one swing could tie the game or even give him the lead. Never got to that point, but I would have been curious to see if he would have put Cruz up in that spot. I know... The numbers haven't been great, the at-bats haven't been great, but you got to think if the game was on the line, in this ballpark especially, that Davey would have taken that chance and hope he could get a ball in the air.
0: Davy Johnson, during his time as Nats manager, had a phrase, mental break. He used to give players mental breaks. I remember he did this with Adam LaRoche. He did it with other guys as well. I'm not saying that this back stiffness is a fake injury, but do you think any part of this... Is giving Nelson Cruz a mental break given that he has struggled so much so far this year?
1: I think that helped make the decision. Uh, he did, you know, stiffen up and that's why he came out of the game the other night. Now, if he is hitting the ball the way Yadiel Hernandez is right now and he has to leave a game with back sniftness, but the next day he says, you know, I'm feeling all right, they're going to push to try to get him in that game. Yes. Or they give him one day off and say, okay, we'll have you back for the next one. If you are also struggling the way that Nelson Cruz has, then it's a convenient way to tell him, hey, let's take a couple days off. Let's make sure you're healthy. And deep down, maybe you're also thinking, clear your mind a little bit, come back on on Friday. I mean, I don't think he's out of the lineup or anything like that. When he's ready and they aren't worried about anything, I think he'll be back in there. And my guess would be that we'll see him on Friday in Anaheim.
0: Going to be an interesting series. Nationals at the Angels this weekend. We get to see Shohei Otani. We get to see Mike Trout. We get to see Anthony Rendon. Uh, the Nats' pitching lines up as Johan Adone in Game One, Josiah Gray in Game Two, Eric Fetty in Game Three. So this should be a fun series.
1: It is. The only disappointment, selfishly for me, I don't know if the Nats are disappointed in this, is that we don't get to see Otani pitch uh, because he just pitched in uh, Boston and was fantastic. Of course. To me, I mean, the possibility of Otani facing Soto, that just is too much. To pass up on, but I'm sure the Nationals are perfectly happy not to be facing a guy as talented as him. They're going to have to contend with him at the plate, though. He's still quite a threat there. And Trout and Rendon, who has played well, it's going to be good to see Anthony. I'm sure. I'm I'm already anticipating his eye roll as he sees us walk into the Angels' clubhouse before the game on Friday, looking to talk to him because it's just not his favorite thing to do at all. But you know, it's strange, and and it's something I'm going to ask him about if I get the chance. Is that they were originally going to play them in 2020 before the pandemic changed the whole schedule. And that I think would have been a more emotional matchup because he's going against most of these guys who he was with and won the World Series with, you know, only a few months later. Now we're three years removed from it. It's pretty crazy to think. This is the third season now that he's been in Anaheim and the guys that he's facing outside of Soto and Robles, there's hardly anybody else left that he was teammates with that won the World Series with. So for a guy who's already not all that sentimental to begin with, I would not be surprised if he doesn't really feel that much emotionally about facing the Nationals this weekend. We'll see what he has to say about it. But it's unfortunate that so much has changed in that amount of time that it doesn't seem like as big a deal to be facing Rendon as maybe it would have when he first signed with
0: Anaheim. No, I mean, uh, you know, even like with Max Scherzer, I mean, it was a deal, but the next time will not be a deal. You know, it's like, okay, Scherzer's already on his second team since he was with the Nats, but it's like this is a different generation of Nationals players. We get that. I mean, this is a whole new look now to the way that things are. It's interesting. Otani really hasn't hit much so far this year. Rendon's been all right. And Trout, of course, has an OPS over a thousand because that's what Mike Trout does. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a new question that we are throwing out to you guys. So it is the year 2022. It is 10 years since the Nats won their first National League East title as the Nationals. Uh, So we're asking you for your memories of that 2012 National League East winning season for the Nats. Uh, Hit us up. Just things you remember about that season, special moments from that season, players from that season. You can email us at natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to send a voice memo, i.e. record yourself in your smartphone and email that file to us. We'll play that on a future installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals radio highlights are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Frankie delivers.
3: So we had a long drive to left. Way back. Forget about it. It is going, going, and long gone into the Crawford boxes, and the Nationals are on the board. Anthony Rendon has his second home run in the World Series. It's now the Astros 2 and the Nationals 1 as Anthony Rendon delivers a big hit here in the seventh inning.